Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. Acts chapter 2 and verse 5. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven, Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. They were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all those which speak Galileans? How we hear every man in our own tongue wherein we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers of Mesopotamia, and in Judea, and Cappadocia, and Pontius, and Asia, Perga, and Pamphylia, and Egypt, and in parts of Libya, about Cyrene, and strangers of Rome, Jews, and proselytes, Cretes, and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed, and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine, but... Peter, standing up, and with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, You men of Judea, and all ye that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these men are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let us pause for just a moment of prayer. Our Father, we're in your presence this morning, praying for the outpouring of your Spirit upon us all. We praise your name for the experiences we've had this week, and for the lady that gave her heart to the Lord last night, we most especially offer our thanks unto you for your continued saving grace. Speak to us now this morning. There are those who are not Christian today. We pray thy spirit would speak to them in a very special way. We pray through Christ our Redeemer. Amen. We're still dealing with the general theme of the Holy Spirit. The day of Pentecost had come. And out of that upper room, the 120 disciples and the apostles went out into the street and began to preach. They were doing something very strange. They were speaking languages that they didn't know. They weren't speaking unknown tongues. 
It was quite obvious from what we read that they were speaking the languages of the Parthians and the Medes and the Edomites and, and the people from Mesopotamia and Lydia and all the other places from, whom the pe from where the people had come from all over the, the earth at that time in order that they might share together in the time of feast at Pentecost. The scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit came down and into the hearts of those apostles and disciples and they went out on the streets and preached. Now I think what the people of the town heard was not the noise of the Holy Spirit coming. I don't think that. The apostles heard the noise of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, there is no doubt that he is present, for we hear his coming. But I think what the people of Jerusalem heard was the evidence of the Holy Spirit. For the apostles and the other disciples were now out on the street, outside the upper room. They went down to the corners and they began to preach and the word began to spread. Something's happening. Those people who were once afraid are now out on the street preaching the gospel. They're talking about the crucifixion. They're telling the, about the resurrection. They are brave. They're bold. And they are proclaiming the gospel to anybody who will listen. When this happens in a church, people will come to see what's going on. When we are full of the Holy Spirit, we don't have to advertise that we're a church. They'll know we're a church. The word will spread. And that's what was happening this day. The word was spreading that people were doing something out of the ordinary. God's people were filled with the Spirit and they were doing things that were different than they had ever experienced before. The people were amazed. These guys that were out there on the streets were uneducated. Probably they didn't know a single language other than Aramaic. They knew a few Hebrew words, maybe. They might have known a few Greek words, but they weren't affluent in Greek. And they certainly could not, in their normal ability, speak the language of the people from Asia or from Europe. And here they were, out there, speaking. And the people were hearing them and understanding what they were saying, and that they were understanding in their own native language. <coughs> A special gift. And I think that's exactly what it was. A gift that God gave to his apostles on this particular incident in order that the people in the streets would understand the gospel. Now there's one thing I want you to notice. They were hearing in their own language. There is nothing that says that Peter or the others were preaching in another language. They were hearing them in their own language. Preachers, uh, Peter stood up to preach and one man stood before this 
horde of people now that had gathered outside the upper room. And he stood up and spoke to them, and they all heard the word of God in their own language. I think the miracle was the miracle of hearing, not the miracle of preaching. That's the miracle that we look for this morning. It's not that I might be able to articulate anything of any importance, but that you might hear something. Not hear the words that I speak, but hear the message of God. And it might come through the, the words that I might preach, but the important thing is that it is God speaking to your heart and to my heart. That's what we ought to be hearing. This special gift was not given to these apostles that they might feel good about themselves or that they might feel superior or they might feel satisfied with what they were doing. And I have known of people to whom God has given some particular ability and they think that it's something to make them bold and proud. But listen, there's only one reason that we follow Jesus Christ besides our own salvation and that is to be a witness as to what took place in our own hearts. That's all. Just to be a witness. Now I believe that one ought to feel good about his experience. But as we talked a little bit in Sunday school class downstairs this morning and we've said many things about it, our salvation is not based upon how we feel. Our salvation is based upon what Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary. And God performed a miracle in our life in giving us something. We can't earn it. There are too many people that think in order to be saved you've got to become good. Listen, that's a fallacy from the very beginning. There's none good, says the scripture, no, not one. We're all sinners and we're all doomed for an eternal damnation except for the miracle of God who came into our lives and performed something. And that makes me feel good, but my feeling about myself is not what saves me. It's what I know that God did in my life. And that's the thing that we've got to portray to people. We're not something stuck on a sick to be admired, looked up to. We are simply to be recognized as sinners that were saved by grace. All week long we have a mountaintop experience. Revival is always a good time for a fine experience. And I hope that everybody felt better by last night's service. And I hope you feel better today when the service is over. But more importantly, I hope that we know where our salvation has come from. We have some knowledge of something that is important. Because I guarantee you tomorrow morning you're not going to feel so good. When I have to get out of bed in the morning to go to work, I'm not going to feel saved, I'll tell you. My old bones probably won't want to move too well tomorrow. But I don't have to worry about where my soul is because it, was, it isn't dependent upon what I've done or what I've said or what I am. And when I sin, as I do and as you do, I know 
that my salvation has not been changed by the fact that I have fallen off the path. Because it is Jesus Christ that came into my heart and life and saved my soul. And I have the assurance of eternal salvation by what he did, not by what I do. Well, all right. Here are all these people listening. And they're hearing the gospel preached and they're amazed and they, they don't understand. Because they see a change in these apostles. They weren't the same men they were just a few minutes before. Just before this, they were afraid, and now they're out there boldly preaching. There's a change that took place. And do you know the lost individual can't understand the change? Some of you have said to me, and I've heard it over the years, there's a difference in you. There's a difference in you. I heard of one person in this congregation, I heard this by the way of the grapevine, and I won't reveal the person who went to work after being saved, and somebody on the job said, there's something different about you. Did you get saved? And the response was, yes. There is something different when you're saved. And it ought to show Let me repeat, and for the sake of being redundant, I still want to repeat it. If somebody has to ask you if you're a Christian, then there's something wrong not with their question, but with us. For it ought to be evident in our lives that we believe in Jesus Christ. There ought to be no question about where we are. And we ought to amaze people with the change in us. We ought to shake them to the very foundation of their lives by, by the way we live when they can see that there's something different about us. You know what's different? What's different is old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's out of the scripture you recognize. What's new? A new heart, a new viewpoint, a new purpose, new goals, but a new future, a new direction. Once one's life was down and now one's life is up. Once it was negative and now it's positive. Once it was eternal damnation and now it's eternal life. That's what's new. And what brought this about? The very thing that happened on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God came in and filled people with His mighty power. Now everybody was looking at these guys. Here they are preaching, and everybody's hearing the gospel, and there's a great revival going on there on the street. But everybody's not buying this. There were mockers. Some people said, all oh, those guys are drunk. Well, I have heard some mighty strange word come out of the mouth of a few drunks, but I've never heard it be the gospel of Jesus Christ proclaiming salvation. They're always mockers. When Jesus was on trial, they blindfolded him and they hit him and said, okay, if you're so mighty, prophesy who hits you, mocking him.
when he hung upon the cross. They mocked him. And they said, if you are the Christ, come on down off the cross. They mocked Noah as he built that ark. For a hundred years he built. For a hundred years he preached that there was going to be a flood and there never been one. Matter of fact, it hadn't rained on the earth yet. The earth was watered by, by dew and, a, and water coming up from the earth. There's going to be a flood. And he built that ark there on dry ground and they mocked him. Lot was one that appeared to be a mocker when he tried to get his family to leave Sodom when the angels were going to destroy it. Yes, there are all kinds of people who will mock. Don't be discouraged because of somebody out there laughing at you and mocking you and saying how foolish you are to be a Christian. Because in the day that God put Noah in that ark and shut the door and the rains began to come, the mockers suddenly changed their tune and they begged to be let in. But listen, it was too late to get in because God had already shut the door. I'm telling you there's a day coming this whole world when God is going to shut the door on the sinner. And he's not going to let you in because you've gone beyond the point of redemption. I've been told that there is a sign hanging over Niagara River way above the falls to warn boats coming down that river to go no further down because if they do, they're going to be caught in the rush of that mighty river and will be carried over the falls. The sign says, past redemption point. And that's a clear sign to the boaters on Niagara River. Don't dare go beyond this sign in jeopardy of your own life. And God throws out a sign in this world and he says to people, there is a point beyond which I will not go. You go beyond the redemption point and you're lost. And I've heard the testimony even in church of people who have stood up and said, I passed the redemption point and God no longer deals with me, no longer pleads with me, no longer invites me to be saved, no longer encourages. You've gone beyond the redemption point. Today is the day of salvation. Don't let people mock. We're not fools. We're wise people to accept the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the fools who mock and then knock on the door to get in when it's too late. The day of judgment as the sinner stands before God and pleads his case, he has gone beyond the redemption point and you're not going to get into heaven at that point. These men are drunk. Yeah, I, I agree. They were. They were intoxicated but not with spirit spelled with a small s. They were intoxicated with the spirit spelled with a capital S. And I got that out of Bible study. Somebody gave that one night downstairs. They were full of the spirit. Do you know if you're full of the spirits referring to the devil and his angels, it takes many spirits of the devil as Mary Magdalene had many spirits plural in her the devil puts all of his forces into the life of a person to, uh, to possess them but when it comes to being possessed of God there's only one the Holy Spirit is the possessor of one's life 
Now Peter preaches a mighty sermon. You talk about a revival sermon. Bill, how would you like to preach a revival sermon and 3,000 people were saved? Well, Peter did it. 3,000 were saved that day. He goes back and quotes scripture from Joel and from other places. And as he quotes from Joel, he talks about the pouring out of God's Spirit. There are three pouring outs that I want us to refer to this morning. First pouring out is in 2 Chronicles. If you want to turn back there with me. In 2 Chronicles, chapter 7 and verse 14. It's a little hard book to find. You may not find it real quick, but you keep on looking. This is what 2 Chronicles 7, 14 says. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will heal their lands. Now mine eyes shall be open and mine ears attent unto the prayer that is made in this place. Oh, let's, let's take a closer look at that. What is the pouring out that's being talked about here? It's the pouring out of God's forgiveness for sin. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then what will I do? He says, I will forgive their sin. That's important for people to understand. If you want God's forgiveness, you're going to have to do something. You're going to have to call on His name. You're going to have to humble yourself. Nobody in his own pride is ever going to get God's ear. We're going to have to humble ourselves. We're going to have to seek His face. We're going to have to turn from our wicked ways. And when we have done that, then He will hear us from heaven and pour out His forgiveness upon us. There's another pouring out. Malachi 3.10 The last book of the Old Testament. You probably know it by heart. Talks about tithing. But it's more than that. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse and prove me now here uh, that there may be meat in my house and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to contain. Do you want the blessings of God? The way we get God's blessing is to see to it that his storehouse, that is the church, is well supplied with the capabilities that we have of physically supplying those needs. We want the blessing of God, then He will pour out upon us when we pour out upon Him. When we give ourselves and our means to God, He will uh, reciprocate by giving us His blessing. We get out of God what we're willing to give back to God of ourselves. We fall short of getting from God in direct relationship to the shortness of our giving to Him. If our lives and our total being is dedicated to the Lord, we can expect a blessing from Him. And then the third pouring out is the one referred here uh, in the Scripture and a, a quote from Joel. When He's going to pour out His Spirit upon all men. The old men... 
will dream dreams and young men will see visions and daughters and sons will prophesy. There will be a great revival in this land of ours when our old and young alike worship God. When the church is on fire by the power of the Holy Spirit. There have been some great revivals in our lands and across the country. D.L. Moody, of course, was a great revival preacher, and Spurgeon, and John and Charles Wesley, and certainly we know of Billy Graham and others that, that have preached the gospel, and we have seen many thousands of people saved. But listen, there is a revival coming when there's going to be millions saved. But you know when that revival is? It's during the tribulation. During the time when God is going to release 144,000 evangelists across the world. And multitudes are going to be saved. And listen, I don't want to be in that revival meeting. I don't want to be there. Because I'm a part of God's church. And I'm going to be a part of the rapture. And the rapture will take place before that revival meeting ever comes about. Those people who are saved during that period of time will be suffering the, the consequences of the period of the tribulation. Well, how does a person be, become saved? I want to lay out this morning the very simple message as to how one becomes a Christian. And verse 21 makes it so plain, I think. It shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord, shall be saved. Now there are some words in that verse that I think are very important. Anybody can be saved who will do something, who will call on the name of the Lord. In other words, to make it simple, anyone can be saved who asks for salvation. It's that simple. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. If you want to be saved, you will be saved by doing one thing. Just calling on the Lord and saying, Lord God, forgive my sins and save my soul. And listen, the assurance of this verse is, the last part of it, shall be saved. Not may be saved or might be someday, or if you hold out long enough, you will be, or any other qualifications, when you call on the Lord and say, Lord, save my soul, a miracle takes place in the heart. The heart is saved because the Holy Spirit has come inside. It happened last night, didn't it? For those of you who were here and experienced it. Assurance. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be, shall be saved. The question is, do you want to be saved? If you don't want to be saved, fine. That's your own business. But the Bible says if you don't want to be saved, hell is waiting for you. Only the people who want to be saved, get into heaven. That's all. Nobody else. If you don't want to go to heaven, you don't have to. There is no requirement of God that you go to heaven. He simply makes the offer. 
And he says, if you want to get into heaven, you're going to ask me to save you. And he said, I made the provisions for your salvation by giving my own son on the cross of Calvary. His blood was shed. You see, God passed the law. He's the mighty lawgiver. In the beginning of time, God passed the law and put it into place. And the law is, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. In the Old Testament, they shed the blood of lambs and bulls and turtle doves continually. And God accepted that. The shedding of blood as symbol of one's remission of sin and God forgave their sins, but it was done over and over and over. You talk about having to be saved over again. In the Old Testament, you had to be saved over again. Whenever you sinned, you've got to be saved again and again and again. And God said, I'm tired of all of this. I'm going to find one sacrifice good enough to cover everybody's sin for all time. He didn't change the law. The law still stayed. There is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. That law still stays right today. Now where can you find a sacrifice good enough to take it to God and say, this is my sacrifice? And God said, man can't do it. I'm going to have to do it for him. Where can I find a perfect sacrifice? He looked all around. No angel could do it. No human being could do it. And he only found his son was the only one perfect enough that he could send to earth and let him spill his blood. And whoever is covered by the blood of the Lamb of God shall be saved. The blood that dripped off the cross to the ground was the blood that saved me and the blood that saved you and the blood that will save those of you who will call on the name of the Lord. I ask you this morning to stand underneath that cross and let the blood of Christ flow off. It's strange what the blood of Christ does. Most blood stains. The blood of Christ makes pure. The blood of Christ turns black into white, turns stain into spotlessness, changes our lives in, from nothingness into something worthwhile, makes us acceptable unto God. That's what the blood of Christ did on the cross. If you want it, you can have it. If you don't want it, you can reject it. If you want it this morning, all you have to do is ask God in your own prayers to forgive you your sins and to save your soul, and He has promised that He'll do it. You can walk out of here saved this morning. You came in doomed for hell. You can go out of here ready for heaven if you want. Where do you want to spend eternity? Swallow your pride, admit your sinfulness, look God in the face and say, God, forgive me of my sins and save my soul. And let God do it. That's all. Let us pray. 
Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.